WHUPLP Hillsboro, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast on WHUPFM.org. I am Jeff Shaw. And once again, we are recording the show remotely because I'm on the road for work. I will actually be at the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships, the Mundials at the Walter Pyramid in Long Beach, California, which means I will be interviewing all the local competitors before and after their matches. So if you have a particular person that you want me to interview, be it a local person that I might not know is competing, be it a friend of yours, be it uh, you want me to interview Buchecha, who is returning to jiu-jitsu competition at the Worlds for the first time after blowing his knee out. If you have suggestions about people that I absolutely should talk to, please, please, please hit us up on social media. Our email address is cagesidewhoop at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us, cagesidewhoop, cagesidewhup, on Twitter and Instagram, and our Facebook page is cagesideradio. I'll probably put up a thread where people can post suggestions of jiu-jitsu athletes to uh, to interview uh, at some point in the next week or so. Trevor Hayes will join me in a moment. We have a packed show that I'm really excited to share with you. We have a 10-minute interview with Jordan Rinaldi from Team Rock Charlotte, who is uh, fighting in the UFC for the first time this Sunday. So whether you hear this on the podcast or whether you hear it when it airs Sunday morning, Jordan Rinaldi will be fighting that Sunday night. So good luck to Jordan. We're also going to recap this past weekend's Next Level Fight Club card. We're going to recap it with Chris Connor, the man who made the matches. That's a really fun interview, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Our news segment is a little bit different this week because the main news for Concussion Cast friends and family was not the next level fight club card. It was not even Jordan Rinaldi fighting in the UFC. It was not Michael Santos uh, fighting on Saturday night in the Lion fights, although um, hopefully he will win that fight. Um, this show may air after the fight's over, but we're pre-recording it. But those weren't. But the biggest news that people were buzzing about on our Facebook page is Trevor almost got stabbed. Uh, so Trevor has a bouncing job at a bar, and a guy pulled a buck knife on him, uh, had the knife out, and was trying to stab Trevor, and Trevor used Gracie's jiu-jitsu to disarm the guy. Now, it's something that's Trevor's, you know, me and Trevor have a good time, but, you know, he's a good friend, and, man, that scared the crap out of me. Um, but Trevor was fine, and what he got out of it was a harrowing story that you will hear as part of our news segment, and Trevor's going to kind of play it off and make it funny, because that's the way Trevor does, but... Um, I think you will enjoy hearing Trevor tell the story, particularly because it ends with Trevor only having the same holes nature gave him after the fight. So here's Trevor Hayes talking to you about avoiding getting stabbed. In terms of news, so the, 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 the big news from the, uh, the weekend was the Next Level Fight card, which is something you and I are going to talk about when we do our interview with Chris Connor, the match, matchmaker for Next Level Fight Club. Um, so we won't belabor that point too much because we're going to talk about that later. But there was some other news that happened this weekend when you were at, on your non-concussion cast, non-fisticuffs, and, uh, and kicking instructor job. And uh, so, so what happened? I bounced once a week. At a lovely establishment called the Goat Bar in Raleigh. It's a cool little dive bar. Um, it, it almost reminds me of a jiu-jitsu gym because there's just people from every walk of life in there, and they all hang out and have fun. Um, but occasionally you have that one person that comes in that wants to ruin the fun for everybody. And that was the person I kind of encountered on Sunday. And it's funny because our good friend Gene Kim was there doing a, a small documentary type thing where he's going around and, interviewing people in the fight community about like their daily lives and what a day of training or coaching is like for him. So he kind of got a good bit of what I do uh, on film. I'm not sure he got the altercation on film, but um, this guy came in. He was a little intoxicated. 
And if someone is really intoxicated, I tell them to turn around and go home. Now, this guy, he had a friend that was sober, and I said, hey, keep your boy in check, uh, but come in, have fun. I'm glad you guys are here. And I'm always, always greeting people with a smile and, and a couple jokes because it kind of livens them up before they walk in. And it establishes that uh, a almost uh, sense of security with me, you know? When you have big, gruff bouncers that don't know how to handle themselves, they come off trying to intimidate people more or less. And that usually uh, kind of increases conflict down the road uh, through poor communication and body language, if that makes sense. It does. Um, and for those of you that haven't met Trevor in person, Trevor is a welcoming individual. Like if you were to everybody gets along with Trevor, you know, all walks of life. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me that that's sort of part of your strategy. Obviously, you're a trained martial artist, but there's no reason in starting conflict when it doesn't have to be conflict. And a lot of my personality comes from uh, my martial arts training. Um, you know, just being like, I mean, I started wrestling in fourth grade. I've been grabbing people my whole life. It's not hard for me to grab a grown man and make him feel like a child. Like, occasionally I still hop in with MMA fighters for shoot boxing and wall work, and they're like, oh, dude, this sucks really bad when you grab me. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of what I've trained myself to do, just to handle myself. And um, through those years, you know, I've, I haven't been the most dedicated jiu-jitsu practitioner uh, because my passion is with kickboxing. Um, that being said, though, the times that I have done jiu-jitsu, there's always been an element of self-defense incorporated. And I've always been a big fan of, you know, the knife defenses and stuff like that. Not so much knife fighting, but the knife defense, um, because that's what will save your life and uh, reduce conflict. And, uh, and that's kind of just what I got to use. And that's what I used on Sunday or well, Monday morning. Um, and it really wasn't the first time I've taken a knife from somebody. I've bounced at places that are strip clubs and other bars, and it's not the first time I've ever had to disarm someone. Um, but it was the first time I realized, oh, if I made a slight mistake and didn't have training, I'd have gotten stabbed or hurt really, really bad. So that was kind of like, a, that's kind of why I put that post on Facebook saying, hey, look, I did Muay Thai, but guess what? You can save my life. You guys need to go train. So um, how many times yeah. have you had to disarm an armed person entering a bar? Just knives off the top of my head, five. Um, one time, like the knife was out already when I approached the guy. And that was handled pretty easily. Um, but other times, like, you know, people reaching for weapons and stuff like that or coming behind someone that already has a weapon now and then disarming them. Um, not hard to do. Uh, there are a couple other times I've had someone try to flash a pistol at me, uh, which is dumb. If you're going to shoot me, you need to shoot me. Otherwise, you'll have a bad time. Uh, guy, he, like, flashed a pistol from his waistband one time, and that resulted in him getting hit with a two, and, and he went down, and uh, it actually turns out that that pistol was fake. So he ended up getting some teeth knocked out for no good reason. Uh, there's another instance where um, uh, a girl had been uh, assaulted at a party, and I wanted to confront the guy. And uh, He went to his closet. He pulled a shotgun out. He pulled it out barrel down to the floor and disarmed him. I hit him with a barrel of shotgun. I hit uh, the butt of the shotgun. Excuse me. And there's been times like that where I just, I just didn't think about it. I just reacted. Um, but uh, like, this, like this past weekend, it kind of just you know stuck out to me that um, when I disarmed him, uh, it was a simple, I came up to the guy, uh, he had his left hand extended on someone's t-shirt. He, he was very drunk at this point. Um, he reached for someone's beer, the guy got his beer back, and then the guy that grabbed his beer back put his hands up very non-threatening. The guy was like, hey, man, like, uh, why are you grabbing my beer? And this guy was just kind of, like, I wasn't sure he was going to pull back and shock him or what, but um, the biggest thing is, is that you never approach a conflict 
straight on, uh, if that makes sense. You know, for it, as a bouncer, you never want to approach someone straight on because that would have put me into the stabbing. Um, so I approached from the side. From the side, I took my right arm. Uh, I proceeded to extend my right arm through his armpit, hooking his tricep. Uh, I pulled the arm through. I step around for an arm drag to his back. Um, and uh, at that point, he released his left hand from the shirt, and uh, he immediately drives his hand into his pocket. And last time I checked, if you're in a fight or, or a situation, you don't want to try and take a selfie, so I figured he wasn't going for his phone. Um, uh, I just immediately shot my left hand to his left hand. I met my thumb across the palm of his hand. He pulled the knife out. I brought the hand out with him. As soon as the hand was clear of the pocket, I stepped back, cleared my body, brought the knife through, uh, turned the wrist out. My right hand, I let go, came through, popped the knife out, put it immediately in my pocket. Um, that I was glad as I did because I, at that point, negated the situation of me flashing a knife around or letting people know that this guy had a knife on him. Because I have a lot of friends that come to this bar. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to know is that this guy tried to stab me. Because that could result in him getting curb stomped and beat up by an angry group of people. Uh, and, and it wasn't until later that my friend Gene said, hey man, what happened, what happened if you stepped the wrong way off that arm drag? I was like, oh yeah, I would have stepped into the guy's knife. Oh, that sucks. So... It was one of those things where every time I try to defend myself, it's always a reaction. It's a do, not a think. You know, if you think you die, it's kind of what happens. And you can ask people that were, you know, who have been deployed and in situations people do, they don't think. They just do and they react and their training kicks in. And this is why it's important to train and to drill, right? So that you do react exactly. without having to think. It's like the same thing I tell fighters going to fight. Just believe in the drills. Like, you know, you, you everyone has, it's like the same thing for jiu-jitsu matches. It's why you you're trained to branch stuff off to defend and attack, defend and attack. The drills do the work. There's the reason why. And I, and I, I gave a good breakdown of it. Uh, Jason had me give a good breakdown of it to some of the white belts and the blue belts and purple belts at the gym. Like, you know, like, Hey, this is what happens. This is what happens. If you make a mistake, you, you get stabbed. Like you get cut, you get hurt. And I, I I've been stabbed before and you know, it does suck. And, uh, I haven't had Josh Murdoch pulled up a thing on Facebook a couple of years ago where it was pretty funny because like a long time ago I told someone you know getting stabbed doesn't hurt it actually does it's knowing that you get that stabbed is what hurts if that makes sense mm-hmm. it's knowing that oh hey I messed up and I got stabbed where I could have not gotten stabbed in the situation well, uh, well I, I'd be much more mad at myself if I had gotten stabbed in the situation knowing that I could have done the right thing I would prefer that you neither get stabbed nor know you get stabbed. And for all the listeners at home that are thinking about brandishing a gun, fake or otherwise, at Trevor, I would like to ask you not to do that because I would rather you not threaten my friend with a gun. And especially not if – I mean if you're going to threaten him with a gun, please make the gun be fake. I'd still rather you not do that because I would rather you not lose teeth for no reason. I've had that happen. But there's another time, and it's funny. Like I can count other times that people have had kind of brandished pistols on me, but – like, whenever you see someone reach for something, you stop them in their tracks. Like, you don't think, you don't let them pull that gun out. You know, and that's one of the drills that you guys do. Once you, in grace self-defense, is that if you see someone reaching for something, you immediately go to control that arm. Mm-hmm. And then go from there to disarm, correct? A hundred percent correct. You yeah, need- and you do that for knives and, and pistols, you know. And if even, I, I've worked at bars where I've had someone, I know Billy Dowie has a similar story too, um, 
Whereas, you know, this guy, he said, you know what? All right, big man, I got somebody in my car that will take care of you. And I was on him like white on rice. And the guy did have a gun in his car, you know? Um, you, don't, you don't just sit there and say that. It's like the same thing if, if someone wants to get into physical, physical altercation. If that person really wants to fight you, as soon as the altercation starts, they'd hit you. If they haven't hit you in the first 30 seconds at all talking, that person's a coward and you end up not getting into any kind of altercation. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I want to highlight two things like, uh, you know, about the story that you've told and, and we're going to, we're going to drill down into this a little bit. So like I sort of have the reputation as the nice guy and the dude that's compassionate and whatnot. And I think that, and I'm grateful for that, but like, I want to f- highlight two things that you did during this particular incident. First of all, you were cognizant of, of what might happen to that other dude if your friends knew that he tried to stab you. And so you actually, oh, you actually yeah, did not, you didn't, you didn't, yeah. because you don't want this dude to get curb stomped, even if, you know, he, he's someone that just tried to put a hole in you. And I want to, I want to commend you for that. That's a level of maturity that not a lot of folks have. And the second thing, and this is something that the listeners don't know, but I'm going to ask. So you told me when you turned this guy over to the cops, you know, he didn't even get a charged with assault with a deadly weapon, right? Like what, what did you, uh, what happened with law enforcement as a result of this incident? Uh, yeah, well, these guys uh, kept at, uh, as soon as I just found this guy, uh, I moved him and his friend, as in I picked up two groomers and I ran them into the parking lot. Um, at that point, you know, everyone at the bar kind of saw there's an altercation going on, and I'm just having to use just you know non-threatening posture and talking these guys down, talking my friends down, and um, you know just trying to control. I'm like, hey guys, now you're trespassing. So I told my friend to call the cops and. When the police arrived, uh, so I had to, you know, I told them, hey, the cops are coming, you're trespassing now. So when the cops came, um, I just kind of told the guys, the, the, the police officers that, hey, uh, you know, I took a knife from the guy. It was no big deal. And they're like, all right, well, do you want to press charges? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, no, I mean, if, if the guy had, had directly pulled it at me, then, yeah, I'd have filed it right away. But um, he didn't. I mean, he went for it. But, you know, but after that, you know, like when the cops came, he was very submissive and and uh they still put on handcuffs for uh i can't remember what it was like one of the charges is like this guy's this guy's car declined on an adar tab so he got hit with uh frauding an innkeeper is what he got charged with uh, or defrauding an innkeeper yeah i love defrauding an innkeeper it's like from like the middle ages and stuff i know i sound like i'm not a freaking like Fryer Tuck over here, or something like that, or Fryer Tuck. That's what I felt like. That man better pay for his flagon of mead, or else he will be yeah. distressed by the constabulary. Um, yeah. Well, so, so in the aftermath of the incident, so you actually took the knife. You you actually mm-hmm. you, so hey, free knife. So that's nice. One of those nice Buck One Tens. It's, it's a pretty sweet Buck knife. Yeah. <laughs> and you did a little something uh, with the help of Jason Colbert that makes this knife a little extra sweet memento. Maybe tell folks yeah, what you did. Um, um, yeah, uh, Hoist Grace is in town right now. I saw him Saturday the fight. We chatted a bit. Um, uh, so it was good to see him again. Uh, he's always really nice to me, even though I'm not a ground karate aficionado like you guys that I hang out with. Um, uh, yeah, I asked Jason, I was like, hey man, I can't make it to go see Hoist tonight. Uh, could you take this knife and let him know like, what happened if he could sign it? And he was like, oh yeah. And when he did that, Hoist was like, oh, that's badass. Um, so yeah, now I've got the knife in my pocket and, uh, I put a clear coat on it today so the sharpie doesn't wear off. So, kind of, that was kind of cool to have that in my pocket now. 
Good reminder. <laughs> and if anybody wants to see this knife that uh, Trevor got autographed by Hoist Gracie, I posted a photo of it to the Concussion Cast website. So you can see this memento and uh, celebrate with me the fact that Trevor only has the orifices that nature gave him and not any extra holes in him due to this knife. So we're thankful for that. Um, and, and frankly, man, uh, you know, you, you say that you're not an aficionado with a grand karate. I'm fairly sure that Hoist likes you better than me now, because if he has, because if he has to make a pick between the dude who uh, used Gracie self defense to disarm a knife and the Barambolo guy, I mean, come on, he's gonna pick the he's gonna pick the guy who didn't get stabbed. Yeah, he's probably not gonna hang out with the Barambolo guy. <laughs> now, you know, this just means I have to take a job bouncing and Barambolo a guy to take his knife. I think I think and, that and, and crack your head on the concrete and get stomped out by friends. Yeah, what's one more concussion between friends? I know. Yeah, I'll feed you. I'll feed you your food. It's a, you're a good friend, you're Trevor. <laughs> I'm so I'm gl- I'm glad you're all right, man. I know that the listeners are are glad you're all right too. And maybe we could. Uh, and it sounds like from 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 the previous beginning of the segment that you have numerous stories like this. So one one last question, man. W- would you say this is the most dangerous incident that you've been a part of bouncing, or you cited a bunch of other things where there were uh, there were other uh, weapons involved? A handful of other times of like breaking up fist fights and. Uh, even though I'm a, I'm a kickboxing instructor, uh, I try not to punch people. I, I don't like to do that outside the gym. Um, but as far as, uh, I'd have to really like think back. I mean, maybe like that time with a shotgun was kind of dangerous, you know, about how I approached it. Like any, any situation really, you have no idea what that person's going to do. This is just one of those times that's very, uh, uh, poignant to me where it's, uh, uh, if, if I had stepped the wrong way, I'd have stepped into the knife. So. I mean, this one kind of just like stands out, and I felt I thought it was a good, you know, hey people like my post on Facebook was, hey, I do kickboxing Muay Thai instructed, but guess what? Gracie Fixu has once again saved my life, as in multiple times I've had to use it to save my ass. So, well, I'm fond of your ass. Wait, that came out wrong. Uh, dude, I have a flapjack booty. I have no ass. Well, so if there's one lesson you want to impart to the listeners uh, as we as we finish up the tale of almost stabbing here, what would that lesson be? Uh, learn how to properly defend yourself. You know, just go out there and learn yourself defense from a good source. Uh, so we're talking with Jordan Rinaldi, who makes his UFC debut in Las Vegas against Abel Trujillo. Uh, Jordan, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. How can folks watch the fight? It'll be on Fox Sports 1. I believe I'll be one of the, the second to last prelim, I believe. So, but that's on Fox Sports One as well. So you must be really excited. Do you, has the UFC always been a goal of yours, or something that's just come up recently? No, it's always been a goal of mine since I decided to turn pro. I said I don't want to do this part time. It's going to be uh, all or nothing uh, adventure, and so that's just one of the goals. You know, the the main goal is always the the title. You know, you don't want to just make it there. I, I want to be a uh, known name in the UFC that eventually fights for a title. So let's talk about how you took this fight. Um, how did you hear about the fight, and how did uh, how did you wind up uh, getting the opportunity to fight Abel? Well, I was already training for a fight uh, for the week following, so I was already in great shape, and uh, my manager called me and said, look, we have this fight. If you want it, you're in. And uh, I said, I'm already in shape. It's only six days sooner. I mean, everyone in the UFC is going to be a stud, so uh, let's do it. Um, I've been waiting for that call for years now. 
So even though it's technically a short notice fight, you still feel really well prepared. Oh, yes. I mean, I've been in a training camp, basically. Or I've just up my training for a fight five weeks ago. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very well prepared for this fight. I'm in great shape. Uh, the guy that I'm fighting is a little bit different, but stand-up-wise, they were pretty similar, actually. So it, And their uh, size was very, very similar. So it, it kind of worked out perfectly. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about your training uh, training background. Uh, you're a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Sergio Pena, but you've also done a lot of training with uh, Snake in Charlotte, right? So maybe you could tell us about how you got started training and the journey that brought you to this point. Of course. Uh, and, yeah, Snake is my main instructor. He'll always be that. And uh, what happened was I was I wrestled in high school and uh, – in college, I started getting fat, and uh, one of the guys I worked with at Autoville, actually, he, uh, he's, he knew me from wrestling, and he said, hey, you should come and check out jiu-jitsu. You know, it's pretty cool. It's competitive. You might like it. And I said, well, I guess I could. I could lose the freshman 15 I have on me. So uh, I started training, and uh, the first day I was in there, I actually broke my elbow. Uh, I chipped my elbow on the wall. But a few weeks later, or a week later or so, I got a cortisone shot, and I was back in there training and kind of fell in love with it. So uh, the jiu-jitsu started, and a year later, uh, I think it was a year later on the day, I got my blue belt from Hoist, and I had a fight the very next day as well, my first amateur fight. So uh, that's how it all started. And when did you make the decision to turn pro? Uh, I think it was... So after I lost the amateur fight to Colt, I had another fight, but it was hard to find more fights for me. Um, and I got one more fight, and the guy was not very good, let's say that. And there really wasn't that many other people amateur for me to fight, so uh, my brother and I just made the decision, and uh, Snake and everyone on the team made the decision, yeah, it, it, it's a good time to go ahead and try it. So tell me a little bit about your striking. I mean, I, we've talked a little bit about your jiu-jitsu. Like, where do you train your striking at, and uh, what's your what's your history with that part of the art? Well, striking is also done at, at Team Rock in Charlotte. Uh, my main striking coach is a guy named Wayne Martin. Uh, great striker, great Muay Thai practitioner. And then when I was in Vegas for the two years I was there, I was under uh, Nick Longren. Uh, at a one kicks gym in Las Vegas, and I train with them uh, pretty extensively. And then uh, I also do boxing in Charlotte, uh, uh, boxing with Kyle. Uh, uh, but that's just something I or I do that twice a week, and then I have another instructor from Muay Thai who I go and see once a week uh, as well at Push Muay Thai. So there's a lot of different places I train, uh, but those are the main places for sure. Cool. Uh, how did you make the decision to go out to Vegas for a couple of years, and what made you decision made you decide to come back to North Carolina? The uh, the promotion I was fighting for at the time, the RFA, had a kind of a fighter house, and so they they asked me if I wanted to come out there after I had uh, my first fight with them, and they said it'd basically be free. Uh, to come out there, train, do whatever you want. And I was like, you know, this is a good opportunity. Why, 
why wouldn't I go out there? And uh, my girlfriend, now wife, uh, said reluctantly agreed to me leaving for two years. And so I went out there and uh, it was just a good opportunity to get away from my home and from my comfort zone and try something new. Mm -hmm. What do you think you learned out there? Uh, I definitely learned the importance of being in an environment where you're happy because, um, Though I wasn't unhappy there, it just wasn't as joyful as I am here in Charlotte. I mean, I love it here. This is where home is, and being around family and friends is very important for me. And I think that was one of the biggest draw, drawbacks of Las Vegas. Uh, I learned a lot of other stuff, though, too. Uh, I got to meet a lot of great people and uh, uh, train with some incredible athletes. And uh, learn from Sergio Pena every single day, which was amazing, and Nick every single day. So uh, I learned a lot, but the biggest thing was I needed to be around my family and friends and, and my support system that, that really strengthens me. Sergio Pena is a legend of the martial arts. And so what, uh, what, what would you say is the most important thing you learned, being able to train with him all every day? The first thing you know about her you have to understand about Sergio is he's not just a great jujitsu person. He's a great person in general. He's, and, and he really translates that uh, onto the mat and off the mat. So uh, that's one of the biggest things I've pulled from him is just to be a good person. He's a, he's a great individual. He's someone I, I look up to a lot and uh, just being around him, it, it just brightens your day up. You know, he's a good person. And I love seeing that, especially in our sport where, there can be a lot of uh, bad people, negative people around it, and, and a lot of money-hungry people. He's, he's a very down-to-earth, genuine person, and uh, not to mention one of the greatest jiu-jitsu practitioners and teachers in the world. So, I mean, I learned so much from him technically-wise, but just to be a better person is, is something I picked up from him. You mentioned that Charlotte is home, and one of the things we try to focus on is the scene here in North Carolina. When you look mm -hmm. on taking your first UFC fight, do you look at it as you are a representative of the Carolinas, and do you is that something that motivates you? Of course. I love the Carolinas. Well, North Carolina, let's, let's clear that up. I'm a North Carolinian, <laughs> and uh, I love Charlotte, and, and yes, I, I do – I think that we kind of get overlooked with our uh, MMA presence. So uh, I, I really enjoy the fact that I get to represent North Carolina. I mean, if you see me on a Sunday during the winter, I'm going to be decked out in Carolina Panthers completely. Car this is just home. I love it here. And then just to be able to say, you know, I'm from North Carolina. I'm Team NC. I love being able to say that and represent us in the UFC just like Brunson and, uh, and Thompson. I'm just an, another guy from North Carolina trying to put us on the map a little bit. And so f let's close by talking about this fight. Uh, what, what, what do you know about Abel Trujillo, and do you have a particular game plan for this fight or, or things that you expect? Well, of course I have a particular game plan, but we'll, we'll say some small stuff on that, but Abel's actually from North Carolina as well, I believe. He's from Greensboro. He wrestled at a, a high school that I I enjoyed watching at the state tournaments a lot. And uh, He's just an explosive, incredible athlete. That's the, that's the first part about him. He's very, 
he's very strong. He's explosive. He he is one of the better athletes that you'll see in the UFC period. Um, I think his striking is extremely dangerous. He hits probably like a truck, at least it looks that way. But the um, the other things, he he's a little reckless at times, a little wild, and, and I think I can capitalize on that. He, um, uh, the question, his cardio is always suspect, I think. And it's not just because he, or it's not because he doesn't work hard because I'm, I'm sure he does, but it's just the, the muscle boundness of, of a person like that. The, the fast twitch muscles wear out quicker. So, um, I think you'll, you'll have a little less of a gas tank than I do. Um, I think the fight's going to be interesting. Of course, uh, I'm We'll see how it goes. I can't say too much about it, but I think I'm uh, I match up well with him. I think my striking is better than people uh, believe, and my wrestling for MMA is much better than people assume. and And I think people will really get to see the the difference in, or not the difference, but the reality of my skill set when I get to fight somebody on that caliber. Do you when you visualize yourself winning this fight? How do you think? How do you think you win the fight? Oh, you mean like by what way? Yeah. Ooh, that's a that's a arrogant question to answer. <laughs> I can't say that. I can't. I can't say how I'm going to win, but I just think I'm going to come out on top. I mean, I, I think I have the the ability and the assets to do that, and and I think I'm going to surprise a lot of people because I know I'm going to be a 10 to one underdog or something crazy just because I'm stepping in against a very, very good 55 er but I'm just going to be there to surprise people. Jordan, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Of course. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Okay, folks, so we have Chris Connor on the line, and Chris is the head matchmaker for Next Level Fight Club, bringing pro MMA back to the triangle, which we're all most grateful for. And Next Level just had a very successful fight card, I thought, which was streamed live on Flow Combat, which is how I watched it. Trevor was there in person cornering his fighters. And so we're really grateful to have you today, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Not a problem. Always glad to uh, be able to talk about MMA any chance I can. Mm-hmm. So how did you get involved with Next Level? I was actually the matchmaker for a smaller promotion here in uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina. And um, I chose to leave that promotion to focus on my own fighting and training. And uh, Lamont Chapel hit me up. He was like, hey, can, you know, can, we, uh, can we have dinner sometime? And I was like, yeah, you know, no problem. I'd helped, I'd helped him out before on a couple of his cards. Uh, just putting in contact with fighters that would match up well with some of the guys he already had or last-minute drops. Uh, and as a matchmaker, you know, you get that a lot. You know, it's like, hey fight week you know every matchmaker's on edge and you reach out real quick like hey has anybody got a 170 ammy with a five fights or more and you know you try to help them out as best you can i have an experience with that i don't whip it on their worst enemy (laughs) (laughs) matchmaking i compare matchmaking to herding cats god yeah that's the best way to describe it (laughs) so uh no i had lunch uh, i had dinner with lamont you know i had seen this promotion before and i was like you know it's really impressive and uh, he's like, well, would you be interested in being my matchmaker? And uh, from then on, I was like, yeah, I'm in. So that's kind of how I got started. It was uh, with a smaller promotion and moved up to a bigger promotion. And 
we're going to take this one as far as we can. Cool. I'm sure me and Trevor will want to commiserate with matchmaking horror stories at the end of the call because Trevor has some. Um, and, let, and let's talk specifically about next level, though. Now, is this the second fight card you've worked on for next level? No, this is actually, let's see, I worked next level two, and this is next level, so I worked three, two, three, four, and this is five. Let's talk about next level five uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, because that's the most recent thing, just happened this past weekend. Um, I'm going to ask you, Chris, what your overall impression of the fights were. Like, what did, did, did everything go the way you had hoped? As a matchmaker, I should not be able to predict, be able to predict a fight. If I can predict the outcome of a fight, and I'm correct, I didn't match the card right. So to answer that question, yeah, I'm very excited uh, and very happy with the way this card turned out um, because the crowd was excited. I mean, I'm standing up on top uh, top of the convention center talking with Trevor, and he and I are looking at each other like, this fight should not be going this way. Dude, it was like, awesome. I missed a lot of fights from what I saw, though. You and I were just still like, dude, this is happening right now. This is nuts. As long as the crowd's entertained... And the boxing commission is happy with the matchups, and that's a successful card from the matchmaker's perspective. Well, so speaking as someone who watched the card, and I want to get Trevor's perspective on watching what fights he was able to watch live. Speaking as somebody that watched on Flow Combat, I thought this was the most entertaining card you guys had done yet. And uh, it was really, I thought, well-matched. Yes, there were some fights that ended with quick stoppages, but even those I thought were very exciting fights. And we'll, talk, we'll break those fights down specifically in a second. So I thought, in general, it was a very, very successful card. And the fact that you guys are on Flow Combat now has got to be a huge thing for you to get that, those fights out to a wider audience. Absolutely. Uh, Flow Combat just launched you know, a month ago. Uh, we, it was something that I got a tip from a friend of mine, and we, me, I talked to Lamont about it. I was like, man, we got to get on this. And uh, I'm so glad we did the production and everything. You know, it raises it to the next level. Uh, no pun intended. We see what you and did there. Bring it up. You know, it, it just does, it has to. I mean, when you're on GFL, you're getting seen by 30, 40 people, maybe. When you're on Flow Combat, I mean, how many? I mean, I can only imagine how many guys are sitting at home on a on a Saturday night, you know, or overseas. Because I have a bunch of buddies that are you know still active duty military. And they were deployed or on ship or whatever. Couldn't get to the show, but love MMA. And they're like, you know, I got hit up by them. And they're like, dude, it was awesome. The streaming is smooth uh, from what I was told. Now, I didn't watch it on Flow Combat yet. I watched it. It was real you know, smooth. So, Speaking to somebody that had the experience watching it, not every streaming experience is created equal. Some of them are like, oh, this is amazing. And some of them are, I'm just glad that I can see the outcomes of these fights live, even if it's janky. And, 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 and this, I thought, was a really, I thought Flow Combat did a really nice job. Camera angles were good. Uh, there, it wasn't choppy. Like, I'm going to ask you, Chris, and then you, Trevor, what was your favorite fight of the night? For me, you know, it's hard to pick out one fight, but for me, it, it, it's the same amateur fight of the night that was from Next Level 4, and that's Justin Platero. Mm. Uh, him and Ches, uh, William... Uh, William Lamb, two guys just laying it all out there. And Justin took some hard punches and just would not go down. And, uh, you know, he, he, that's just his mentality. That's why I bring him back every chance I can. Um, but that was one of the big fights, in my opinion, that really kind of set the tone of the night. Like, wow, you've got guys that are really well-rounded. And not to say that anybody else wasn't, but that was just the one to me that really kind of sticks out. 
Yeah, that fight was uh, it was an interesting fight because I thought that was going to finish in the first round, and then after it didn't, I was like, wow, well, maybe he punched himself out, and it was just a really exciting knockdown drag out fight. Now, Trevor, I know you were cornering your guys, but you got the chance to watch a few fights, and like you can list one of the fights from the guys you cornered. What did you think was your favorite fight of the night? I had as much fun watching Evan Aaron Dondo fight as I did helping him get ready for this fight. The kid went out there. Uh, I, I missed all the amateur fights. Um, actually, I will give a shout-out to Matt Weatherington. He hadn't trained much, and he stopped by the gym a couple times during the fight. And he ended up, uh, Chris, I, you could kind of say that Matt Weatherington's fight, it was like a pretty much a mollywop from his end to uh, make that guy not get off the stool. You know, Matt had told me, Matt was hesitant on taking that fight. Yeah. Because the opponent had changed like a week out, two weeks out. Mm-hmm. And he was really yeah. hesitant on taking it. I was like, look, dude, I've seen you fight. I know your style. If you fight your fight, this is going to be a beast. And mm-hmm. it'll be a good win, a good feather in your cap based on this guy's credentials. Yeah, that guy he fought had a, uh, had a really good uh, kickboxing background. And Matt just went out there and just turned it Donkey Kong and just turned it up. I kind of came to the tail end of the fight, and I was like, wow, is this what's like the whole fight? And I had a really fun time um, watching Evan Aaron Dondo fight while I was cornering him. Um, you know, he, he's fought a guy. It's a good fight for him. And um, Evan's just slowly getting better every fight. He just fought kind of like a pro, just picking his shots, not getting wild, finishing the rounds with takedowns, very clean, punches and kicks, very smooth, cutting angles. Um, uh, the pro fights I thought were all great. Yeah, I thought all the pro fights were terrific, and like I'm glad that you mentioned each of you mentioned the fights you did because Evan's performance was a, a virtuoso performance. I thought he was really well rounded. You could really tell that he'd put in the work, and it was just just a terrific performance on his account. I also want to mention uh, Dan Branch's fight, not because it was one of the fights of the night, but it was just so great to watch him after putting in so much work over the last several months and having fights fall through, be able to show his skills. And so I was really excited that he got a finish by guillotine choke. That was really cool to see as well. I did want to mention this, and, we're, and we'll talk about this on, on, elsewhere on the show. Um, the Jay Whitfield-Portland Pringle fight was an interesting fight for me to watch. It was something that was really tough for me to watch, given that you know I train with Jake a lot. He's my friend, and uh, and you know was one of the best MMA fighters I think North Carolina has produced. And Portland just really brought it. And I think that it was a. I think it's testament to Jake's jujitsu that he did not get finished in that fight and was able to survive because it certainly wasn't. You know, his, his. I think he would tell you that it's, it wasn't his best performance, but it was a terrific fight to watch. Really good contrast of styles, and I, I was really impressed with Portland Pringle. I was really impressed that Portland went to the ground with him. Yeah, yeah, willingly went to the ground, and I, especially after the first round. I mean, you got a true jujitsu black belt on your back, and you defended him for the first round. Most guys would be like, "Nah, I'm going to test his hands," and Portland's like, "Nah, I'm going to play in your guard," and that's <laughs> dangerous. I thought that was really ballsy of Portland, but, you know, I mean, it worked for him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, my, my hat's off to Portland on that, you know, because, no, you don't go to a black belt's guard, especially a Gracie black belt. Yeah, I, I thought it was not the strategic choice I would have made, uh, but, again, props to him. And, and he, you know, Portland's the, the kind of guy, from what I know about his career, that doesn't turn down fights, is fighting all the time, is constantly in shape. And so, so yeah, maybe we'll be, you know, would you, would you say that we might see him back on a next level card in the future? Oh, absolutely. I would have no problem bringing Portland back um, to, to a future show. Uh, and I told him that that night. I, you know, it had nothing to do with that, per, that specific performance, but just the fact that he came and he fought hard. And, you know, that right there makes me want to bring any fighter back. 
I was a bit surprised in the main event that, uh, you know, you know, when you have the heavyweights, anything can happen and things can happen fast. But Alan Crowder really finished Keith Bell in a hurry. Uh, can I get your thoughts on that? You know, I had somebody ask me, you know, they were, they were like, now how's this, how's this title fight going to go? And I was like, look, you've got two gorillas in the cage. It can either go 30 seconds or it's going five rounds. Unfortunately, it went 16 seconds. But, I mean, that's, again, that's the heavyweight division is any heavyweight can knock out any heavyweight at any given time in a fight. Hmm. And I was, but I was surprised that it was, I don't know, I, just, I, mean, I, just, I really didn't see it going that quick. Yeah, I, I was surprised too, especially with Keith being a veteran of the game that's been, been around quite a while. But Alan Crowder just has that kind of power. Yes, absolutely. And he hit him right on the button. I've looked at it from like three or four different angles. Just, it was just a, a beautiful right hand right on the chin, and it was over. So, Trevor, you cornered two guys, right? You cornered Evan and you cornered Daniel. Was there a third guy that you cornered? No, um, we had a couple guys uh, we had to pull. Well, David Hudson, that poor kid, hasn't been able to get a fight on your show. Like, it just it, it keeps falling through for him, poor guy. But it's good. I've, I've known Dave uh, for a couple months now, so now we can put him through a full training camp. Um, we definitely want to get on the next, next level fight club. And then uh, John Wood, he's still having some issues coming off of uh, a hand surgery. So uh, we got to get that figured out before we get him on the next show. I know we were trying to find him a catchweight, but then John was saying, man, I'll fight anybody that came to office one day. He wasn't throwing punches. And so we got to be careful about his hand and, and, and get him ready for the next show. John's hand, I mean, he's such a tough kid. Um, and, and, and so I think a lot of times tough people can be their own worst enemies in situations like that. Cause you know, when he did the pro jitsu fight, I was like, man, didn't you just have hand surgery? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, props to him, warrior spirit. Right. Exactly. I mean, warrior spirit and all that, but like at the same time, your body wants to heal. So Chris, how soon after a card like this, do you start planning the next one? I've already started. Um, I'm usually I'm, like right now I'm sitting on. I have a spreadsheet, you know, a worksheet that I use, and I'm probably, I've got probably 10 different tabs on it for the next show of just various matchups and fighters and guys that I would like to see put on, and it's, you know, it's going to depend on availability and injuries and things like that. Uh, but me, I don't usually take time off. I just, I start working the next card because it's just kind of what you have to do. You have to have plans A through Z for your fight card. Most definitely. Is there anything you can share with us, or do you want to wait until fights are finalized first? Uh, here's my problem. I have certain guys that I want on the card. I have certain matches I want on the card. Um, I, had a, I had a fight scheduled for this last show, this, this, this uh, show we just had, Next Level 5, and I pitched it to both sides. Both sides agreed, and one of the, other, one of the fighters' coaches went to another promoter and took that fight to another promoter. Wow. Oh. And snaked it from under me, which you know it happens. I got it. Uh, so as far as like matchups, I really wouldn't want to give a matchup yet. But I'll say this: um, you know, we are going to be bringing in some some different guys this round. Um, where I'm I'm looking to do a few more pro fights, um, kind of more of a fifty fifty card, where you got half your card is pro, half your card is ammy. Uh, but I want to start developing guys, and that's kind of my uh, where I want to do uh, and is get these guys, you know, get them from infancy and, and take them as far as they can go, um, and and not just not exclusively, 
but kind of help guide their career and, and, and help those guys that need the help. Uh, you know, Matt Wellington be one of them. Uh, good guy. If he keeps training, you know, he could have on the regional scene could have a very good pro career. You know what? That is exactly what I told the kid um, because he can be. He hasn't done much the past couple of years, um, but when he did come by my gym a couple of times to train, same thing. He stopped by Gracie Riley a couple of times. He would train his ass off. Like he would just train till he was about dead, and then he was very. He would just pick stuff up as soon as you show him, and everything we went over for the fight, he executed from what I heard. So I think I agree. If that kid could train, then he could have a good uh, little uh, amateur career in the area. And then you got guys like Evan. Evan's another solid kid. Um, good display of Muay Thai, which my hat off to you, Trevor, for helping him with that. Um, Outside like karate. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, solid, you know, and that's another kid that, you, you know, um, from Next Level's perspective, we could build up. And if he chose to go, you know, pro, he would have, he would have, the, he would have a fan base. And that kind of brings up what I've been talking to a bunch of coaches about this week is they're not the business side of this of this sport. And I'm not going to take away from anything, but coaches got to talk to these fighters about the business of the sport. And if they don't, they're failing their fighters. I'm not giving a matchup away, but you know we're going to try to get Crowder another good fight. I got I got somebody in mind for him. Uh, I'm talking to Dewan Owens possibly about getting him back on the card. Definitely want to have Dan Branch back. I want to test him a little bit now that he's got the little cage rust off. You know, and then I want to develop some of these Ammies and bring them up as pros. Uh, I'm in contact with uh, Travis Holloman now and um, Jared Miller. Those two have been doing some big things um, elsewhere, which uh, I'm not going to tell where they've been. But, uh, I know, where they've been. I know you guys know, but I don't want everybody to know. <laughs> it makes it harder to match them. Guys, I want those guys to develop you know, a fan base wherever they're at and allow them to – develop the fan base in, in a great show in their home area. That sounds terrific, and that segues into my next question pretty nicely. And I'm actually going to ask each of you guys two questions. I want to ask each of you, what is the most fun and rewarding thing about being a matchmaker? And then I would like each of you to tell me your biggest matchmaking disaster story. So why don't we start with Chris. Chris, what do you think is the most rewarding or fun thing for you about making fights? Watching the fight card develop. And when I say that, it's, you know... On paper, I can put matches together and be like, man, that's going to be a beast of a fight. You know, that's going to be an awesome card. And then watching it actually develop into an awesome card is, um, that's probably my favorite part. You know, what, even these guys, some of these guys have a second chance, um, and not to, not to beat the guy up, but Matt Wetherington, been out for two, three years, hit me up and showed me that, you know, he was ready to come back. And that was great. Uh, so watching these guys develop, and putting a card together and watching it be exciting and the crowd enjoy it is probably the biggest thing, biggest reward to me. Trevor, what do you think the most rewarding thing about making matches is? Um, I completely agree. It's um, with me. It's seeing the fights happen because there's the, all right. I know these two guys are going to bring a good fight. Then they bring a great fight. They get the crowd going, uh, going. Uh, and then I love the the what if of when I match up two guys that I don't know anything about. You know, because we've had some guys like uh, like like James uh, Browns, for example, who was on the last Next Level card that fought a Paternal. Well, yeah, that kid, the first time I talked to him, he was said, oh, yeah, I'm 3-0. And it's like, hey, man, we can't fight me. Oh, it was in, like, karate tournaments. And at that point, we're like, damn, like, we need to get him on the card. Because we had him matched up against a guy that had 
it was an upside down record. It was three and five, but that's still eight fights. And it's a kid that we're not sure if he's fought or not. And I was like, man, like, I don't want to play the role of bad guy, but damn, like, we got to get this fight on a card just to fill space right now. So, and then James Brown comes out, sticks him one, two, three, cuts, fires a body kick, and, and then, like, stops the kid. And I just went, oh my God, James, what was that? And he was like, I told you, homie. And just walked the locker room like nothing happened. Like, like meeting guys like that where you don't know anything about them and they come on and put an amazing performance and then you see him grow as a fighter and you kind of follow him. It's amazing to see. So what about the flip side of that? Chris, have you, do you have a, a matchmaking disaster story you can share with us? Not necessarily even from next level, but just in your career as a matchmaker. Every show has its issue. It doesn't matter. Um, every show is going to have an issue and it's just a matter of did you plan for it and are you ready for it? <laughs> Nine times out of ten, you're not. Honestly, it, 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 it would probably be my last Next Level card, Next Level 4. The card turned out phenomenal. But we started the show with 10, with ten fights. Uh, or we started the weigh-ins with 10 fights. Ended up with six fights on fight night. And, and, and the part of it is, is there was nothing I could do. It was all out of my hands. Uh, I had a guy come in from South Carolina, supposed to fight Marcus Flood, and... You know, he comes at a pound over. Mark's like, all right, he needs to cut the weight. So we're like, okay. He's like, all right, I'll be right back. Ends up going to the hospital. So there's a fight drop. Gosh. And then I had my 170 title holder come in eight pounds over. Didn't even try. I mean, he didn't even try to make weight. And so there's another fight drop because the weight stand was too much. And then, see, what else did we drop? Had, I dropped a pro. Dan Branch's fight dropped. Because his opponent yeah. couldn't make weight. But, yeah, that, that, that's the biggest nightmare is until weigh-ins are completed, man, as a matchmaker, that you're just waiting on the, the, the bad things to happen. I can totally understand why you were guzzling, you might have been guzzling antacid until the show comes off. And speaking of guzzling things, including but not limited to antacid, uh, Trevor is always driven to drink by matchmaking, so I know he probably has a matchmaking horror story to share. I do. Um I actually have two good ones. The, the first one is one that's very comical to me, even though it was a giant headache. Um, our good friend uh, Josh Macri from, from uh, Crazy Jiu-Jitsu Chapel Hill was set to make his MMA debut at a Bull City Brawl show. Um, and his opponent, we ended up having to pay for his opponent's blood and eye work. He then said that he didn't have a car, but you'd get a ride. And then he says, hey, I need you guys to buy me a bus ticket to get up there. And we're like, dude, we already spent X amount of money on you. And apparently you haven't sold any tickets, like, all right, whatever. But Josh sold a ton of tickets, so we had to try and get this guy up here from the plane. And then all of a sudden, day of weigh-ins, he's sitting there. And, and I always wake up super early, just look at my phone and wait for the end of the world to come. And uh, this kid says, hey, I don't have a ride. I can't make it. So then we called Jamie Pickett, who, Chris, you know, another outstanding guy. Hey, Jamie, here's 200 bucks. I need to drive from Greenville and drop this kid off some pipes. Okay, not a problem. Kid comes in, overweight, cuts weight, makes weight, leaves, and then does not come to the venue. <laughs> just, yeah. just out. Just Casper the friendly ghost. Yeah, but how, however, probably like, like the worst, like that one is always a bit of a chuckle. It's like, a, I can't believe that happened. Probably the worst feeling I had as a matchmaker was my first time matchmaking. Um, I helped put together a fight card on, I think, just over a month's notice. And I had about six pro matchups. 
and six amateur matchups. And it was a really good card, local guys. Like, I had guys coming from Charlotte and Wilmington. Um, and it turned out to be a really good, like, card. Uh, and then I found out the day before weigh-ins, the guy that was supposed to be running the show, who I will leave unnamed, he, uh, he told me, hey, man, we had to, we have to cancel the show. I, it, it was absurd because this guy just never did anything with, like, the venue really, didn't set anything up. And it turned into a big mess. And it was really heartbreaking to have to call these guys and, and tell them, hey, the fight canceled because the promoter did this. But then the other promoter uh, was Paul Marinaccio, and he was trying to put someone in place of him, and that's why the card fell through because Paul's always been a standout guy. And Paul still called up all the pro fighters and sent them their show purses and stuff like that out of pocket. Oh, wow. But I'm slamming Jack Daniels until I couldn't see straight most of the time. <laughs> Hey, speaking of which, Chris, what's your favorite uh, fight week drink to keep you sane? Honestly, I don't get it. I don't get a chance to drink fight week, oh, and I'm always waiting for that last minute change. So I don't have the luxury of, of of having a a drink per se because I have to stay clear headed. Now, after fight after the show is done, it's it, it's got to be you know. If I had to pick somebody, it would be a shot of Patron and just be like, okay, there it is. <laughs> it's over. Very, very manly drink, the shot of Patron. Like, I, I'm looking for anything that has an umbrella in it. And if, if I can get an extra umbrella, that's fine. I thought that vegans weren't allowed to drink. Vegans are only allowed to drink plants we murder. So, like, w- watermelon daiquiris. And uh, I don't know, what's, what's the uh, cosmopolitans with, uh, with flowers in them? Things like that. Ah, that's what it is. But I'm double fisting those Cosmos. Um, <laughs> so, Chris, do you have a date for the next Level Fight Club card? We had one. Um, we are looking at October. The Raleigh Convention Center um, kind of messed up and gave us the wrong date and double booked us in another event. So we are in the process of working through that issue now. Um, we are going to stick with an October event and... We just we, we we're confirming our we're getting our dates lined up and everything right now. As soon as we have one, we'll be pushing it out. It'll be it'll be an exciting show. I have no doubts. So for now, fight fans should just leave their weekends in October open. Yes, don't make any plans in October. <laughs> so uh, it's it's going to get like I said, it's going to be it's going to be this is our this is our last show of the year. We're not going to do another show in 2016. We're going to bring it really hard on this one. I want to display what Raleigh can do because there's a lot of talent in Raleigh. Uh, which is one of the reasons that, you know, Lamont and I, we really wanted to get a foothold in Raleigh and showcase what Raleigh can do. We're going to close the show with a little bit of a surprise. You heard earlier about the Next Level Fight Club card, where Jake Whitfield, one of the best MMA fighters North Carolina has produced, lost the 29-28 decision to Portland Pringle. Now, you probably know that I've trained a lot with Jake and that other than my instructor, Seth Champ and Roy Marsh, I think Jake has taught me the most about jiu-jitsu. And I thought on the occasion of his retirement, we should congratulate Jake on an incredible career and wish him the best of luck as he teaches uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu at his school in Goldsboro. You're not going to find anybody that loves jiu-jitsu more than Jake Whitfield. He lives it, he breathes it, and that's why he's a tremendous teacher of it. So I put a call out to a couple guys that I thought would make some positive statements and tell some good stories, and a couple of those guys answered my call. So I'm going to let them speak for themselves. But for all of us at the podcast, me and Trevor, we just want to congratulate Jake on a fantastic career and wish him the best. What's up? It's DeWan, Dirty South Owens. just want to say much love and respect to Jake Whitfield. Uh... Jake's one of the most talented and definitely the most well-rounded MMA fighters ever come out of Carolina. Uh, 
want to say thank you for everything that you you've taught me. Uh, the, the beat downs I've taken. <laughs> no words, no words. Some of the stuff I'm not gonna put out there, but Jake Jake knows what what he means to me. Anybody in any uh, concept of the history of martial arts in the area knows what Jake means to uh to the scene. So again, much love, and respect, and much success in uh any of your future endeavors. And uh, I'm always supporting you 100, man. Peace. Hey, this is Roy Marsh, and uh, you know, I've been trying to think of a story to tell about Jake. Um, kind of our history, I've known him now, I guess, since I started Jiu-Jitsu about 15 years. And uh, I guess the kind of one that just popped in my head was the fact that um, back when we used to train at the uh, the original Chapel Hill location, you know, we trained during the week, and then we'd have the uh, Saturday open mat. And afterwards, there was always a guy used to train with us, Joey, the hat, the legendary hat. He would always uh, say, "Hey guys, uh, let's uh, let's get together, you, me, and Jake on a Sunday, and we'll just kind of have a small open mat." And because uh, I really want to train some more, I really want to train some more, and so we'd uh, Jake and I would show up at Sunday, and and there'd be no hat, and we'd sit around, and we'd sit around, and finally, you know, Jake and I go, "Well, it's just a, uh, it's just you and me, and we'll just uh, roll." And uh, you know, I got beat up for a long time that way, but it really got me a lot better, but. I always just kind of remember that story of uh, Jake just always being really re- uh, ready and willing to come in and train, you know, um, and instead of just, you know, uh, taking the day off. Uh, and we just kind of would just laugh because it was predictable every uh, every weekend, you know, the hat would start again. Hey, tomorrow, I promise this time, tomorrow, Jake and I'd come in. There'd be no hat, but Jake and I'd get in some good roles and really uh, help me improve and uh, just always kind of, like I said, um, sort of went to how uh, how hard and willing Jake was to always train. And uh, there's a lot of stories, but that's kind of just one that popped in my head. See you guys.